Section 17 of What is Property? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. What is Property? An Inquiry into the Principle of Right and of Government by Pierre Joseph Proudhon. Translated by Benjamin R. Tucker. Chapter 4, Part 5 that property is impossible sixth proposition property is impossible because it is the mother of tyranny what is government government is public economy the supreme administrative power over public works and national possessions now the nation is like a vast society in which all the citizens are stockholders each one has a deliberative voice in the assembly and if the shares are equal has one vote at his disposal but under the regime of property there is great inequality between the shares of stockholders therefore one may have several hundred votes while another has only one if for example i enjoy an income of one million that is if i am the proprietor of a fortune of thirty or forty millions well invested and if this fortune constitutes one thirty thousandth of the national capital it is clear that the public administration of my property would form one thirty thousandth of the duties of the government and if the nation had a population of thirty four millions that i should have as many votes as one thousand one hundred and thirty three simple stockholders thus when mr arago demands the right of suffrage for all members of the national guard he is perfectly right since every citizen is enrolled for at least one national share which entitles him to one vote but the illustrious orator ought at the same time to demand that each elector shall have as many votes as he has shares as is the case in commercial associations for to do otherwise is to pretend that the nation has a right to dispose of the property of individuals without consulting them which is contrary to the right of property in a country where property exists equality of electoral rights is a violation of property now if each citizen's sovereignty must and ought to be proportional to his property it follows that the small stockholders are at the mercy of the larger ones who will as soon as they choose make slaves of the former marry them at pleasure take from them their wives castrate their sons prostitute their daughters throw the aged to the sharks and finally will be forced to serve themselves in the same way unless they prefer to tax themselves for the support of their servants in such a condition is Great Britain today. John Bull, caring little for liberty, equality, or dignity, prefers to serve and beg. But you, bonhomme Jacques? Property is incompatible with political and civil equality. Then property is impossible. Historical Comments 1. When the vote of the Third Estate was doubled by the States General of 1789, property was grossly violated the nobility and the clergy possessed three-fourths of the soil of france they should have controlled three-fourths of the vote in the national representation to double the vote of the third estate was just it is said since the people paid nearly all the taxes this argument would be sound if there were nothing to be voted upon but taxes but it was a question at that time of reforming the government and the constitution Consequently the doubling of the vote of the third estate was a usurpation 
and an attack on property two if the present representatives of the radical opposition should come into power they would work a reform by which every national guard should be an elector and every elector eligible for office an attack on property they would lower the rate of interest on public funds an attack on property they would in the interest of the public pass laws to regulate the exportation of capital and wheat an attack on property they would alter the assessment of taxes an attack on property they would educate the people gratuitously a conspiracy against property they would organize labor that is they would guarantee labor to the working man and give him a share in the profits the abolition of property now these same radicals are zealous defenders of property a radical proof that they know not what they do nor what they wish three since property is the grand cause of privilege and despotism the form of the republican oath should be changed instead of i swear hatred to royalty henceforth the new member of a secret society should say i swear hatred to property seventh proposition property is impossible because in consuming its receipts it loses them in hoarding them it nullifies them and in using them as capital it turns them against production one if with the economists we consider the laborers as a living machine we must regard the wages paid to him as the amount necessary to support this machine and keep it in repair the head of a manufacturing establishment who employs laborers at three five ten and fifteen francs per day and who charges twenty francs for his superintendence does not regard his disbursements as losses because he knows they will return to him in the form of products consequently labor and reproductive consumption are identical what is the proprietor he is a machine which does not work or which working for its own pleasure and only when it sees fit produces nothing what is it to consume as a proprietor it is to consume without working to consume without reproducing for once more that which the proprietor consumes as a laborer comes back to him he does not give his labor in exchange for his property since if he did he would thereby cease to be a proprietor in consuming as a laborer the proprietor gains or at least does not lose since he recovers that which he consumes in consuming as a proprietor he impoverishes himself to enjoy property then it is necessary to destroy it to be a real proprietor one must cease to be a proprietor the laborer who consumes his wages is a machine which destroys and reproduces the proprietor who consumes his income is a bottomless gulf sand which we water a stone which we sow so true is this that the proprietor neither wishing nor knowing how to produce and perceiving that as fast as he uses his property he destroys it for ever has taken the precaution to make someone produce in his place that is what political economy speaking in the name of eternal justice calls producing by his capital producing by his tools and that is what ought to be called producing by a slave producing as a thief and as a tyrant he the proprietor produce the robber might say as well i produce the consumption of the proprietor has been styled luxury in opposition to useful consumption from what has just been said we see that great luxury can prevail in a nation which is not rich 
that poverty even increases with luxury and vice versa the economists so much credit must be given to them at least have caused such a horror of luxury that today a very large number of proprietors not to say almost all ashamed of their idleness labor economize and capitalize they have jumped from the frying pan into the fire i cannot repeat it too often the proprietor who thinks to deserve his income by working and who receives wages for his labor is a functionary who gets paid twice that is the only difference between the idle proprietor and a laboring proprietor by his labor the proprietor produces his wages only not his income and since his condition enables him to engage in the most lucrative pursuits it may be said that the proprietor's labor harms society more than it helps it whatever the proprietor does the consumption of his income is an actual loss which his salaried functions neither repair nor justify and which would annihilate property were it not continually replenished by outside production two then the proprietor who consumes annihilates the product he does much worse if he lays it up the things which he lays by pass into another world nothing more is seen of them not even the caput mortuum the smoke if we had some means of transportation by which to travel to the moon and if the proprietors should be seized with a sudden fancy to carry their savings thither at the end of a certain time our terraqueous planet will be transported by them to its satellite the proprietor who lays up products will neither allow others to enjoy them nor enjoy them himself for him there is neither possession nor property like the miser he broods over his treasures he does not use them he may feast his eyes upon them he may lie down with them he may sleep with them in his arms all very fine but coins do not breed coins no real property without enjoyment no enjoyment without consumption no consumption without loss of property such is the inflexible necessity to which god's judgment compels the proprietor to bend a curse upon property three the proprietor who instead of consuming his income uses it as capital turns it against production and thereby makes it impossible for him to exercise his right for the more he increases the amount of interest to be paid upon it the more he is compelled to diminish wages now the more he diminishes wages that is the less he devotes to the maintenance and repair of the machines the more he diminishes the quantity of labor and with the quantity of labor the quantity of product and with the quantity of product the very source of his income this is clearly shown by the following example take an estate consisting of arable land meadows and vineyards containing the dwellings of the owner and the tenant the worth together with the farming implements one hundred thousand francs the rate of increase being three per cent if instead of consuming his revenue the proprietor uses it not in enlarging but in beautifying his estate can he annually demand of his tenant an additional ninety francs on account of the three thousand francs which he has thus added to his capital certainly not for on such conditions the tenant though producing no more than before would soon be obliged to labor for nothing what do i say to actually suffer loss in order to hold his lease in fact Revenue can increase only as productive soil increases. It is useless to build walls of marble and work with plows of gold. 
but since it is impossible to go on acquiring for ever to add estate to estate to continue one's possessions as the latins said and since moreover the proprietor always has means wherewith to capitalize it follows that the exercise of his right finally becomes impossible well in spite of this impossibility property capitalizes and in capitalizing increases its revenue and without stopping to look at the particular cases which occur in commerce manufacturing operations and banking i will cite a graver fact one which directly affects all citizens i mean the indefinite increase of the budget the taxes increase every year it would be difficult to tell in which department of the government the expenses increase for who can boast of any knowledge as to the budget on this point the ablest financiers continually disagree what is to be thought i ask of the science of government when its professors cannot understand one another's figures whatever be the immediate causes of this growth of the budget it is certain that taxation increases at a rate which causes everybody to despair everybody sees it everybody acknowledges it but nobody seems to understand the primary cause footnote the financial situation of the english government was shown up in the house of lords during the session of january twenty third it is not an encouraging one for several years the expenses have exceeded the receipts and the minister has been able to re-establish the balance only by loans renewed annually the combined deficits of the years eighteen thirty eight to eighteen thirty nine amount to forty seven million five hundred thousand francs in eighteen forty the excess of expenses over receipts is expected to be twenty two million five hundred thousand francs attention was called to these figures by lord ripon lord melbourne replied Quote, the noble earl unhappily was right in declaring that the public expenses continually increase and with him i must say there is no room for hope that they can be diminished or met in any way Unquote. national january twenty sixth eighteen forty end of footnote now i say that it cannot be otherwise that it is necessary and inevitable a nation is the tenant of a rich proprietor called the government to whom it pays for the use of the soil a farm rent called a tax whenever the government makes war loses or gains a battle changes the outfit of its army erects a monument digs a canal opens a road or builds a railway it borrows money on which the taxpayers pay interest that is the government without adding to its productive capacity increases its active capital in a word capitalizes after the manner of the proprietor of whom i have just spoken now when a government loan is once contracted and the interest is once stipulated the budget cannot be reduced for to accomplish that either the capitalists must relinquish their interest which would involve an abandonment of property or the government must go into bankruptcy which would be a fraudulent denial of the political principle or it must pay the debt which would require another loan or it must reduce expenses which is impossible since the loan was contracted for the sole reason that the ordinary receipts were insufficient or the money expended by the government must be reproductive which requires an increase in productive capacity a condition excluded by our hypothesis or finally the taxpayers must submit to a new tax in order to pay the debt an impossible thing 
for if this new tax were levied upon all citizens alike half or even more of the citizens would be unable to pay it if the rich had to bear the whole it would be a forced contribution an invasion of property long financial experience has shown that the method of loans though exceedingly dangerous is much surer more convenient and less costly than any other method consequently the government borrows that is goes on capitalizing and increases the budget then a budget instead of ever diminishing must necessarily and continually increase it is astonishing that the economists with all their learning have failed to perceive a fact so simple and so evident if they have perceived it why have they neglected to condemn it historical comment much interest is felt at present in the financial operation which is expected to result in a reduction of the budget it is proposed to change the present rate of increase five per cent laying aside the politico-legal question to deal only with the financial question is it not true that when five per cent is changed to four per cent it will then be necessary for the same reasons to change four to three then three to two then two to one and finally to sweep away any increase altogether but that would be the advent of equality of conditions and the abolition of property now it seems to me that an intelligent nation should voluntarily meet an inevitable revolution halfway instead of suffering itself to be dragged after the car of inflexible necessity eighth proposition property is impossible because its power of accumulation is infinite and is exercised only over finite quantities if men living in equality should grant to one of their number the exclusive right of property and this sole proprietor should lend one hundred francs to the human race at compound interest payable to his descendants twenty-four generations hence at the end of six hundred years this sum of one hundred francs at five per cent would amount to one hundred and seven trillion eight hundred and fifty four billion ten million seven hundred and seventy seven thousand six hundred francs two thousand six hundred and ninety six and one third times the capital of france supposing her capital to be forty billion or more than twenty times the value of the terrestrial globe suppose that a man in the reign of st louis had borrowed one hundred francs and had refused he and his heirs after him to return it even though it were known that the said heirs were not the rightful possessors and the prescription had been interrupted always at the right moment nevertheless by our laws the last heir would be obliged to return the one hundred francs with interest and interest on the interest which in all would amount as we have seen to nearly one hundred and eight thousand billions every day fortunes are growing in our midst much more rapidly than this the preceding example supposed the interest equal to one-twentieth of the capital it often equals one-tenth one-fifth one-half of the capital and sometimes the capital itself the fourierists irreconcilable enemies of equality whose partisans they regard as sharks intend by quadrupling production to satisfy all the demands of capital labor and skill but should production be multiplied by four ten or even one hundred property would soon absorb by its own power of accumulation and the effects of its capitalization both products and capital and the land and even the laborers is the phalanstery to be prohibited from capitalizing and lending at interest 
Let it explain, then, what it means by property. I will carry these calculations no farther. They are capable of infinite variation, upon which it would be puerile for me to insist. I only ask by what standard judges called upon to decide a suit for possession fix the interest. And developing the question, I ask, did the legislator, in introducing into the Republic the principle of property, weigh all the consequences? Did he know the law of the possible? If he knew it, why is it not in the code? Why is so much latitude allowed to the proprietor in accumulating property and charging interest, to the judge in recognizing and fixing the domain of property, to the state in its power to levy new taxes continually? At what point is the nation justified in repudiating the budget, the tenant his farm rent, and the manufacturer the interest on his capital? How far may the idler take advantage of the labourer? Where does the right of spoliation begin, and where does it end? When may the producer say to the proprietor, I owe you nothing more? When is property satisfied? When must it cease to steal? If the legislator did know the law of the possible, and disregarded it, what must be thought of his justice? If he did not know it, what must be thought of his wisdom? Either wicked or foolish, how can we recognize his authority? If our charters and our codes are based upon an absurd hypothesis, what is taught in the law schools? What does a judgment of the Court of Appeal amount to? About what do our chambers deliberate? What is politics? What is our definition of a statesman? What is the meaning of jurisprudence? Should we not rather say jurisignorance? If all our institutions are based upon an error in calculation, does it not follow that these institutions are so many shams? And if the entire social structure is built upon this absolute impossibility of property, is it not true that the government under which we live is a chimera, and our present society a utopia? Ninth Proposition Property is impossible because it is powerless against property. 1. By the third corollary of our axiom, interest tells against the proprietor as well as the stranger. This economical principle is universally admitted. Nothing simpler at first blush, yet nothing more absurd, more contradictory in terms, or more absolutely impossible. The manufacturer, it is said, pays himself the rent on his house and capital, he pays himself, that is, he gets paid by the public who buy his products. For suppose the manufacturer, who seems to make this profit on his property, wishes also to make it on his merchandise, can he then pay himself one franc for that which cost him ninety centimes, and make money by the operation? No, such a transaction would transfer the merchant's money from his right hand to his left, but without any profit whatever. Now that which is true of a single individual trading with himself is also true of the whole business world. Form a chain of ten, fifteen, twenty producers, as many as you wish. If the producer A makes a profit out of the producer B, B's loss must, according to economical principles, be made up by C, C's by D, and so on through Z. But by whom will Z be paid for the loss caused him by the profit charged by A? In the beginning by the consumer replies say contemptible equivocation is this consumer any other than a b c d etc or z 
by whom will z be paid if he is paid by a no one makes a profit consequently there is no property if on the contrary z bears the burden himself he ceases to be a member of the society since it refuses him the right of property and profit which it grants to the other associates since then a nation like universal humanity is a vast industrial association which cannot act outside of itself it is clear that no man can enrich himself without impoverishing another for in order that the right of property the right of increase may be respected in the case of a it must be denied to z thus we see how equality of rights separated from equality of conditions may be a truth the iniquity of political economy in this respect is flagrant when i a manufacturer purchase the labor of a working man i do not include his wages in the net product of my business on the contrary i deduct them but the working man includes them in his net product say political economy that means that all which the working man gains is net product but only that part of the manufacturer's gains is net product which remains after deducting his wages but why is the right of profit confined to the manufacturer why is this right which is at bottom the right of property itself denied to the working man in the terms of economical science the working man is capital now all capital beyond the cost of its maintenance and repair must bear interest thus the proprietor takes care to get both for his capital and for himself why is the working man prohibited from charging a like interest for his capital which is himself property then is inequality of rights for if it were not inequality of rights it would be equality of goods in other words it would not exist now the charter guarantees to all equality of rights then by the charter property is impossible two is a the proprietor of an estate entitled to by the fact of his proprietorship to take possession of the field belonging to b his neighbor no reply the proprietors but what has that to do with the right of property that i shall show you by a series of similar propositions has c a hatter the right to force d his neighbor and also a hatter to close his shop and cease his business not the least in the world but c wishes to make a profit of one franc on every hat while d is content with fifty centimes it is evident that d's moderation is injurious to c's extravagant claims has the latter a right to prevent d from selling certainly not since d is at liberty to sell his hats fifty centimes cheaper than c if he chooses c in his turn is free to reduce his price one franc now d is poor while c is rich so that at the end of two or three years d is ruined by this intolerable competition and c has complete control of the market can the proprietor d get any redress from the proprietor c can he bring a suit against him to recover his business and property no for d could have done the same thing had he been the richer of the two on the same ground the large proprietor a may say to the small proprietor b sell me your field otherwise you shall not sell your wheat and that without doing him the least wrong or giving him ground for complaint so that a can devour b if he likes for the very reason that a is stronger than b consequently 
it is not the right of property which enables a and c to rob b and d but the right of might by the right of property neither the two neighbors a and b nor the two merchants c and d could harm each other they could neither dispossess nor destroy one another nor gain at one another's expense the power of invasion lies in superior strength but it is superior strength also which enables the manufacturer to reduce the wages of his employees and the rich merchant and well-stocked proprietor to set their products for what they please the manufacturer says to the laborer you are as free to go elsewhere with your services as i am to receive them i offer you so much the merchant says to the customer take it or leave it you are master of your money as i am of my goods i want so much who will yield the weaker Therefore, without force, property is powerless against property, since without force it has no power to increase. Therefore, without force, property is null and void. Historical comment. The struggle between colonial and native sugars furnishes us a striking example of this impossibility of property. Leave these two industries to themselves, and the native manufacturer will be ruined by the colonist. To maintain the beetroot, the cane must be taxed. To protect the property of the one, it is necessary to injure the property of the other. The most remarkable feature of this business is precisely that to which the least attention is paid, namely, that, in one way or another, property has to be violated. Impose on each industry a proportional tax, so as to preserve a balance in the market, and you create a maximum price. You attack property in two ways. On the one hand, your tax interferes with the property of trade. On the other, it does not recognize equality of proprietors. Indemnify the beetroot. You violate the property of the taxpayer. Cultivate the two varieties of sugar at the nation's expense, just as different varieties of tobacco are cultivated. You abolish one species of property. This last course would be the simpler and better one, but to induce the nations to adopt it requires such a cooperation of able minds and generous hearts as is at present out of the question. Competition, sometimes called liberty of trade, in a word, property in exchange, will be for a long time the basis of our commercial legislation, which, from the economical point of view, embraces all civil laws and all government. Now what is competition? A duel in a closed field where arms are the test of right. Who is the liar? The accused or the accuser, said our barbarous ancestors. Let them fight it out, replied the still more barbarous judge. The stronger is right. Which of us two shall sell spices to our neighbor? Let each offer them for sale, cries the economist. The sharper or the more cunning is the more honest man and the better merchant such is the exact spirit of the code napoleon tenth proposition property is impossible because it is the negation of equality the development of this proposition will be the resume of the preceding ones one it is a principle of economical justice that products are bought only by products property being capable of defence only on the ground that it produces utility is since it produces nothing forever condemned 2. It is an economical law that labor must be balanced by product. It is a fact that, with property, production costs more than it is worth. 3. Another economical law, 
the capital being given production is measured not by the amount of capital but by productive capacity property requiring income to be always proportional to capital without regard to labor does not recognize this relation of equality between effect and cause four and five like the insect which spins its silk the laborer never produces for himself alone property demanding a double product and unable to obtain it robs the laborer and kills him six nature has given to every man but one mind one heart one will property granting to one individual a plurality of votes supposes him to have a plurality of minds seven all consumption which is not reproductive of utility is destruction property whether it consumes or hoards or capitalizes is productive of inutility the cause of sterility and death eight the satisfaction of a natural right always gives rise to an equation in other words the right to a thing is necessarily balanced by the possession of the thing thus between the right to liberty and the condition of a free man there is a balance an equation between the right to be a father and paternity an equation between the right to security and the social guarantee an equation but between the right of increase and the receipt of this increase there is never an equation for every new increase carries with it the right to another the latter to a third and so on for ever property never being able to accomplish its object is a right against nature and against reason nine finally property is not self-existent an extraneous cause either force or fraud is necessary to its life and action in other words property is not equal to property it is a negation a delusion nothing end of section 17 chapter 4 Part 5